When we take up the subject of the Holy Spirit, we are dealing with a huge difference maker for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for our church. I'm sure that many of you have asked, what is, what is happening to our youth? Why are they so, some of them, so dull? Well, the answer is not that difficult. The answer is the present and the degree of the Holy Spirit in their lives and whether He's quenched or not. Some have not the Spirit. The Bible plainly tells us that in Romans chapter 8, and they're none of Christ. Those who have the Spirit can grieve or quench Him by any carnal activity with friends, music, television, or any other input into their life. If they don't read the Word of God and spend time in prayer, it grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit. So they have no confirming presence in their life for holy living. They lose commitment to truth because he is called the spirit of truth. As I tried to tell our young people on Wednesday evening, the Holy Spirit of God does not have big open arms for anybody that wants to say the name Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God has very close arms with a straight gate and a narrow way that leads unto life. And few there be that find it. And if the Holy Spirit is grieved in a person's heart, they lose their conviction for truth. Hey, anything is okay. Listen, let's just agree to disagree. Let's just say, let's be okay with each other. Let's not argue about doctrine. Let's just all get together in our love of Jesus. That is not the Holy Spirit of God. That is the other spirit of this world. Second Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. Because that is not how the Holy Spirit of God wrote one word in the Bible like that. If we walk in the Spirit as we should walk in the Spirit, we can achieve and we should achieve a higher level of Christianity, much higher. It shouldn't even be compared to being carnal Christians with a grieved and quenched Holy Spirit. Let's spend some time this morning learning a little bit more about this most important subject. It's probably the most important subject that we can take up to have spiritual religion, victorious living, fellowship with God, and maximize our life and influence in the church, in our families, and in the world, is to be full of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God gives us power that we do not have by ourselves. Jesus said, except ye abide in me, you can bear no fruit. But if we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. And so shall ye be my disciples. Because a real disciple of Jesus Christ bears much fruit. And if a person isn't bearing much fruit, then they're not a real disciple of Jesus Christ, and they don't have the Spirit of God in them. The Spirit of God is grieved and quenched. Satan cannot have you, Satan cannot afford to have you, full of the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So anything he can do to bring into your life that would cause the Spirit of God to be grieved or quenched, defeats the power you have to resist the devil. Because the power you have is this power of the Spirit of the living God. You are not enough to resist the devil. You make an effort to resist him, but if the Spirit of God is with you, that is the power that will keep you resisting him and will turn the devil away. The Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God and stand in the power of his might. The power of the might of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the might of God of heaven is the Holy Spirit of God. That is where God gives us His power. When we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not talking about speaking in tongues after 70 A.D. 
For 40 years in the Reformation period of the church, they spoke in tongues to give proof of the presence of the Spirit of God and to confirm that the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ had a divine mission. No one has spoken in tongues since by the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us tongues shall cease. The Word of God has come and given us a perfect revelation. Tongue has ceased. Knowledge has passed away. The gift of knowledge that they had, because we've got perfect knowledge right here in the Bible. So we don't look for fake healings in a Benny Hinn crusade for the presence of the Spirit of God. That isn't told in in the New Testament. When we go to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and we go to Titus, and we see... Those 13 chapters addressed to ministers, there's not a word about them performing the shenanigans that go on at these faith healers' crusades. Not a word. The emphasis is all on spiritual fruit, because that's the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. It's fruitfulness that matches up with the Word of God. Our personal lives depend upon this. Before the world began... We were assigned to the Lord Jesus Christ by covenant that He would die for us and the Holy Spirit of God would apply those benefits to us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's consider briefly the history of the Holy Spirit and our relationship to Him. I want to say this again in a few minutes, but let me say it right now. Please make a conscious effort not to call the Holy Spirit it. Because the Holy Spirit is not a force field. The Holy Spirit is not an emanation. The Holy Spirit is not just a power. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is God. He deserves a male pronoun because that's how he's addressed in the Bible. He and Him, He's called the Comforter. He can be grieved. He can be lied to. Because He's God. He is a personal being, and so let's not call Him an it. I believe that will help us as we think about grieving Him. Because we have the personal presence of God with us, abiding with us, dwelling with us, as the personal presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, and let's think upon our relationship to the Holy Spirit that began before the world began. 1 Peter 1, 2, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. What the Holy Spirit of God does to us in time, we were elected to it before time. God assigned the Lord Jesus Christ to die and the Holy Spirit to apply the benefits of that death to us. We were chosen to those benefits that the Holy Spirit would apply that the Lord Jesus Christ earned on our behalf. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we did go here last Sunday, but what a great passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the apostle assumes that this information is so fundamental and so basic to Christianity that the Corinthians should have known it. 
So he asks rhetorical questions a couple of times in this passage. Notice the first word of verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. What? Know ye not? There it is in 16. And then again in verse 19. What? Know ye not? Have you lost this fundamental basic aspect of Christianity that God the Holy Spirit is in our physical bodies? Because verse 12 down through 20 is describing the physical body. It eats meats. It's going to die. It's going to be raised again. It can commit fornication and become one flesh with a harlot. It's talking with the physical body. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God has created all three parts of our being, body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus died for all three parts of our being, body, soul, and spirit. And because of that, we should glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Because we have a gift from God, which is in us, and we are not our own. Verse 19. Right now, I want to, I want to remind you of the personal relationship we have with the Holy Ghost. Election is very personal. As Paul wrote the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, according as he hath chosen us in him. God's election includes names in the book of life. It includes names inscribed upon the palm of his hand, the Bible tells us. It's very personal. But that personal choice that God made for our salvation included the work of the Spirit in applying the purchase price of Jesus Christ's death. As 1 Peter 1 told us. Then we're going to a second point. So personal is this relationship with the Holy Spirit that God the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. There is a monastic error that creeps into us at times that whatever is of the Spirit or the soul is far superior to that which takes place with the body. That the body is corrupt that the, bo- the body is corrupt with sin, but that the body itself is bad. But you know, the Bible teaches us that it is heresy that neglects the satisfying of the flesh. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Those people who teach a touch not, taste not, handle not religion are teaching an error. Because God hath given us richly all things to enjoy that aren't sinful. This body is God's temple. Again, let me reference something I said to the young people. I want them to know that I'm not repeating myself without knowing. Sometimes it's true, but not at the moment. When we talked about music on Wednesday night, I wanted to emphasize the point, the kind of music that you should listen to, especially when you're away from your parents, should be temple music. If this is the temple of God, the Holy Spirit, then the kind of music that I'm letting in these two holes should be temple music. So that the God of the temple is pleased with the music that we have playing in the temple. I know that is so simple, but that's the, I want to make it simple. The music that should come in these two holes and enter into the temple, 
should be music that glorifies the God that's in the temple. It should be music that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. It should glorify God. In fact, we know what kind of music it should be. It should be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Because Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 tell us, Don't be drunk with wine. Drunkenness is a sin. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it tells us three things that Spirit-filled people do. They want to engage in Christian music. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They are thankful for all things at all times through Jesus Christ. And they love to get along with others by submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Those three things are listed as part of one sentence about being full of the Spirit. He's in us. What? Know ye not. I hope for the rest of our lives, and of course many of you have already known this verse, that we will remember that a fundamental axiom of Christianity is that God the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Therefore, the Apostle argued in this passage that if you commit fornication, you are forcing the Holy Spirit into bed into an illicit relationship of one flesh with someone you don't have a right to. So you force the Holy Spirit into one flesh relationship because this flesh is His temple with a sinner. But it says in the last verse, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So it goes beyond just the body, but the spirit as well. So thoughts of fornication, viewing fornication, talking about fornication lightly, all those sins would offend the spirit of God as well because you're engaging in spirit-grieving activities with your spirit. Your body has been bought by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to raise your body, and He's coming back to change it. And at the present time, it's the Spirit's temple. I read to you two passages about how to know you're a child of God. One of the ways is internal evidence. That the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Romans 8, Galatians 4. I read them both to you. It's what causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. When the Spirit of God is truly alive in you, and not grieved or quenched, He will fill your soul with the confidence that you are an adopted child of God. Now, if you want to make sure you're not deceived, then you will be bringing forth the fruit of that Spirit in your life, so that you will not be relying entirely upon internal confidence. But if you've got both, it's just wonderful, because you've got the witness of two, external evidence and internal witness of the Spirit. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, about this same point of the Spirit of God being in us, the personal relationship we have with the Spirit of God. While you're turning your pages there, let me chase a little excursion. We sang, Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, number 76 in the Burgundy. The last line, we sang these words, Come, shed abroad, a Savior's love, and that shall kindle ours. Watch. In Romans 5, 5, God has given us the Spirit of God to shed abroad, that's where we got those words, to shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. We learn how much God loves us by walking in the Spirit so that the Spirit of God fills our soul He sheds it abroad. 
He displays it fully. He pours it out and makes it open and visible to us. He shows us its height, its depth, its length, its breadth of the love of Christ. That's from Ephesians chapter 3. That's all told us very specifically. It is by the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are not basking in the love that God has towards you, if you're not full of it, it's because the Holy Spirit is grieved or quenched in your life. This is the personal relationship we have with Him. He tells us fully in our hearts that God loves us, that God has adopted us, that we're His children and we're the heirs with Christ of God. He teaches us love. Now, that those words that we read and sang in that song, Come, shed abroad the Savior's love, and that shall kindle ours. Watch. In 1 John chapter 4. The power of the Spirit of God in our lives. 1 John chapter 4. Let, please let me start way back at verse 7. Follow along with these verses and see the Spirit of God's teaching in us about the love of God toward us and our love toward others. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. What does that Spirit do within us? It teaches us that God is love, that God has loved us, and that we ought to love one another because God is love. That is what is described in those verses 7 down through verse 13. Shed abroad a Savior's love, and that shall kindle ours. Because God is love, and that is communicated by His Spirit. Paul wrote the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, and he said, Ye are taught of God to love one another. And then he said, I would that you would increase in it more and more. He admitted God the Holy Spirit teaching them on the inside to love one another, but he wanted to stir it up and get more of it out, which is what we want to do when we walk in the Spirit. We want to stir up the power of the Spirit in our lives so that we will do more of it outside our lives toward others. This is the assurance of eternal life. No man has seen God at any time. You haven't seen God. I haven't seen God. So what do we do with that Disappointing fact. Let me speak as a fool for a moment. Verse 12 tells us, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit to teach us about love. That is what these verses mean. Since we can't see God, then how do we know that He's in us? How do we know that we're in Him? How do we know that we're abiding in Christ? The greatest grace and the greatest fruit is love. 
Because God has loved us, taught us love, and we're to work it out toward Him and toward others. This is the personal relationship we have with the Holy Ghost. Our personal lives depend upon choosing the course, the lifestyle, the course of life of the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5. You know the passage well. We've memorized it repeatedly over the years. It, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives us nine aspects. It also tells us a long list of the works of the flesh. The difference between those two is the lifestyle of the flesh. That is the wicked principle of sin that you still have in your members. And the lifestyle of the Spirit of God. And we make the choice to walk into one and not the other. The two are enemies of each other. They lust against each other according to verse 17. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. You have an animosity and an enmity and opposition inside you because of a spirit of your flesh. Your old man that you have by your first birth that is in conflict with the Spirit of God that you have from your second birth. And the two of them are at enmity. Part of you wants to do certain things that are wrong. Part of you wants to do things that are right. You have this conflict. And what we need to do is crucify the things that, want the, that are wrong. So it says here that we are to crucify the works of the flesh. Verse 24, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. There are things that we have affection for. There are things that we like that God doesn't approve of, and we need to crucify them. What does it mean to crucify something? But to put it to death. Crush it. Destroy it. Kill it. Put it to death. In Colossians, the word is mortify. You go to a mortician when you're no longer making decisions for yourself. Because someone sends you to a mortician. That's what the word mortify means in a King James Bible. Because it's dealing with death. So when you mortify your flesh, you put your flesh to death. I am not going to do that. I am not going to abide that. I am not going to feed that. I am not going to encourage that. I am not going to be around others that are doing that. I'm going to keep myself from that. That's to mortify your flesh. Galatians 5, we are not fatalists. We do not believe that we sit around and we wait for the Holy Spirit of God to burst out of us in love, joy, peace, and long-suffering and the rest of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We believe that this passage is calling on us to walk in the Spirit, which means we choose the Spirit's lifestyle for ours, and we kill all the other things listed in this passage in verses 19 through 21. This is the evidence of the Spirit of God. If you turn a couple pages to the right, you'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we have similar words. Ephesians chapter 5, comparing Christians with the world. Verse 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Verse 8, Ephesians 5, 8, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Notice we have parentheses. The parentheses are to supply a little additional information, but the sentence can be read without them. So we can come back to verse 8 and we can read, Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, showing what God accepts and approves of in your life. In your life. And what are those things? What's there in parentheses? The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. 
This is a very similar passage to Romans 17, where it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth God is accepted of God and approved of men. This is what we want to do right here, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. This is our life style that we want to have, only doing those things that are acceptable to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit and by what the Spirit has taught us in the Word of God that He approves of. The Scriptures. The Spirit of God authored them. When we read them and we delight in them, we are feeding the Spirit of God and His relationship with our new man. Because we are taking in the very words that He chose out of our language to put into print that reveal the will of God for our lives. We know this about inspiration. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have one author, and we have about 40 secretaries or writers that put those words that he put in them down on the paper for us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. How do we know the things that God has given us? By the Spirit which He's given to us. The reasoning of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 is special. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. What man knoweth the things of a man? Who can really figure out what's going on inside a man other than the spirit of man which is in him? For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. We each have a spirit. And that spirit fears things, loves things, hates things, wants things, dreads things. What, how can we know that except the spirit of man that is within us? That's how we know it. How can we know the things of God? By the spirit of God which he's given us. He's drawing that comparison. You know, we can't, we can't fully be empathetic or sympathetic to the feelings of another person because their spirit is different from ours. We have a basic commonality as both being members of this same race and we experience in general the same things, but it's the spirit of a man which is within him that has all the details. How do we get the details about God? He's given us His spirit. Verse 12, the second half of verse 11, Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And where are the words of the Holy Ghost? They're in our Bibles. How can we know the things of God, the details of God, without the Spirit of God revealing them to us? We have the Spirit of God. He's written down the details about God. He's also inside us bearing witness to those things. And we compare spiritual things with spiritual by going to places like Galatians chapter 5 and comparing it to Ephesians chapter 5 and comparing Romans 8 earlier today to Galatians chapter 4. We compare spiritual things with spiritual by the Spirit of God that He's given us. This is our personal relationship with Him. These are His words. These are the details about God. We can know God through what the Spirit of God has given us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual? You read this last evening, I hope, in your preparation. I hope you found the Spirit of God twice in Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul said that after he heard of the faith of the Ephesian saints and their love to all saints in verse 15, that he did not cease to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers. And here's what he prayed for. This is important because you can pray for the Holy Spirit for another person. It's an important illustration from the Bible of how we ought to care about one another. Ephesians 1.17, here's his prayer request. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe. And he goes on to describe that mighty power. Here the Apostle Paul is praying for an increase of the Spirit in the Ephesian saints, that God would give it so that they would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. No man can know the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. No man can know the things of God, save the spirit of God, but God has given us His Spirit. And He can increase that spirit until we have wisdom in the revelation, what God has revealed, more and more. till we comprehend more and more about God. And if this is true in a person's life, it changes their life. Because if God is revealing to you more and more about Him and about the hope of His calling, and about the riches of His glory, and about the power He has exercised toward you, it will change your life because you'll want to give your whole life back to Him who's done so much for you. What is the riches of His glory? It's the spiritual wealth of heaven. The more God opens our eyes, enlightens us, the more God reveals that to us by His Spirit... Heaven becomes richer, and as heaven becomes richer, earth becomes poorer. As the hope of His calling becomes greater, what are we called to be? The sons of God. As that hope gets greater, there's no hope left in this world. So we want to get to that world. And that's all done by the Spirit of God that's given to us. This is our personal relationship with the Spirit of God. It changes lives. And if your life isn't changed, or if your life is dull right now, or if you're kind of just caught in the rat race of this life, we need to get down on our knees and pray for more of the Holy Spirit in us to do these three verses toward us. To lift up that hope of His calling. To show us the riches of His glory. To let us know how much power was exerted to cause us to believe. Why do you believe on Jesus Christ and most do not? Because He exercised the same power toward you that it took to raise Jesus from the dead. That's what it says here. Do you know what you should do in return? You should use your power to repay Him for all He's done for you. This is the personal relationship we have with Him. And if that's stunted, if it's grieved, if it's quenched, all of a sudden, earth looks rich. Earth looks rich. And we make our hope on something happening for us in this world. And the power that impresses us are the power of men to get rich, the power of men to get an education, the power of men in physical or athletic exercises. 
Everything gets diluted until we're down on this plane and these things impress us and we get distracted and lost in them because the Spirit of God is no longer revealing to us the things of God to increase our knowledge of Him. And if that happens, then our families are carnally minded. We care about making a buck, getting an education. You know, the only education that really matters is the education, verses 17 through 19. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Any other increase in knowledge is a total waste of time in comparison. Total waste. It won't do you a bit of good. This is the knowledge that counts. But when we let this get quenched or grieved, all of a sudden, the riches of this world, the hope, what the world sets their hope upon, the the power we're impressed with is power in the world, instead of the power that God showed toward us, the riches of heaven, and the hope of His calling. How does that happen? See, Paul was nervous, or he wouldn't have prayed. Paul was nervous about the Ephesian saints, that though they had been predestinated, That though they had been chosen, that though they had had their sins forgiven, that though they were accepted in Christ the Beloved, that though they had an eternal inheritance waiting for them, that though they were a purchased possession that Jesus was coming back for, he was afraid that their eyes would get down to this level and would not be on that level, so he's praying for the Holy Spirit for them. And if any of you are with me enough this morning to know the difference, you know what I'm talking about right here is, is the difference between us living successful Christian lives and us not living successful Christian lives. Us being carnal Christians, wrapped up in the things of this life, instead of having the things of the next life poured out upon us so we see them clearly. And they're so big, and they're so beautiful, and they're so superior that they put in the shade everything of this life. What is that by? The power of the Spirit of God. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. You get a new... You get a new idea. It's the old Ford advertisement. Didn't work very well for Ford. But anyway, the old Ford advertisement with that light going off, a better idea. Well, the better idea is when God the Holy Spirit shows us that the things of heaven are better than the things of earth. That the riches of heaven are better than the riches of earth. That the hope of heaven is better than the hope of earth. Hope for anything you want on earth, it won't satisfy you like the hope of heaven. And it's taught by the Spirit of God. And do you know what? If I just send you out of here with you grasping this and the difference that it makes in a life and you go home and get on your knees and beg God for the Holy Spirit, I am more than successful even though we haven't delved into very many depths and I haven't shown you a hundred verses about the Spirit of God from the Bible. Because this is what I'm gripped with. Because I want it for me. I want it for my wife. I want it for my children. Because I can see the difference in our lives. I'm going to make a confession. Another one. Will you let me? For ten years, every Saturday, before the Lord's Supper, something would come up between her and me. Something would come up. It would tear me up. I know what the Bible says. That if a man isn't dwelling peacefully and honorably with his wife, his prayers are hindered. There's no way I want to go to the Lord's table when the First Peter 3, 7 warns me about my relationship with my wife. We would get it resolved. But it was like there was a war in our marriage, in our house, every Saturday before the Lord's Supper for ten years. I don't mind the war. 
If the Lord considers me worthy of a little bit of affliction, I thank his name and praise him for it. Because in mercy, he's afflicted me. And it's affliction that drives us to him. And if the devil thinks me worthy of a little bit of extra attention before the Lord's Supper, I don't mind that either. As long as the power of the Holy Spirit gives me enough strength to overcome it, resolve it before we get here to the Lord's table. I'm, telling, I'm confessing my private life to you. I, dr- I dreaded the Lord's Supper. So did my wife. Because we knew that something would pop up. But I thank God, through Jesus Christ my Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because with concerted effort and praying and desire and openness and wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world because we've had one fantastic week right down through last night and this morning. Thank you, blessed God. I just want to share that with you, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't need my testimony because my testimony is not worth anything compared to the Word of God. It's garbage in comparison to the Word of God. But I want to tell you how thankful I am for these kind of verses. And I just want to dwell on these verses and I want to milk these verses. Do you know what you ought to say and pray when you open up the Bible? Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Is God the Holy Spirit able to do that? Listen, God wrote this book. Don't you think an author of a book is able to flip a few pages for you and show you a verse and say, look at that word. Because that's what happens when you read the word of God and meditate on it. That's by the Spirit of God. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Wonders, the riches of His glory, the hope of His calling, and the greatness of His power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God becomes a living book. If you open the Bible and it puts you to sleep in two sentences, (laughs) you need to get on your knees and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Bible is the greatest cure for insomnia if you're in the flesh. I'm not being disrespectful to the Word of God. I'm being disrespectful to the flesh. I hate the flesh. Do you love to walk in the Spirit of God? Look at the benefit. This is our personal relationship with Him. This is so wonderful. He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. God is love. And the witness that the Spirit bears within us that helps us love others is proof that God dwells in us and that we have eternal life. He opens up the Word of God to us so that we can see the riches of glory. But listen, if the Spirit of God is quenched, all of a sudden, this world becomes the most important thing, and our priorities get perverted and distorted, and we ruin our lives, and we ruin our children. We ruin our marriages. I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. You want to really get to know someone closely? Someone who's pretty good? Someone who's pretty glorious? I speak as a fool. I'm talking about the God of heaven. The Spirit of God can do that. You should be praying it for you, your spouse, your children, your family, and our church. Amen.